Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Imprint Companion, a podcast that surveys and assays everything from the incredible boutique Blu-ray label from Australia in the Antipodes, Imprint Films. I am one half of your partnership that loves to get physical with our media that is stoking the fires of DVD culture, Blake Howard. And joining me is, well, he's a doctor in it. He's a registered cinephile. It is Alexi Toliopoulos. It is my pleasure to spin those discs and explore those interactive menus with you on the (laughs) podcast today. And it is quite a fun batch we've got. It is big. It is a really big batch, so we're kind of cutting it in half a little bit. We're going to be talking about the Jim Sheridan Irish Films box set in an upcoming episode, but we're talking about all the single disc releases today. And Blake, we've got a bevy of some really interesting surprises. This is what I would call a batch shit episode. It is absolutely cray we have. (laughs) We're going to do a quick uh, sharing and caring introduction with the music of Chance and the Beast, uh, because both Alexi and I have divided and conquered uh, conquered on those. We're then going to cover Ken Russell's whore um, in the world of Alexi Toliopoulos, we're also going to cover one of the most Tarantino ripoff things he's ever seen in Things to Do in Denver <laughs> When You're Dead, and perhaps the pick of this entire batch, and maybe the pick of the year in imprint films mm. is Robert Renton's Nobody's Fool. Now, Alexi and I actually did a commentary track about another Robert Renton film starring Paul Newman, and we are mm-hmm. so for us to even hint that there is something better in those uh, with those three uh, categories together, I think is is pretty insane. But Lex, can you kick us off? Folks are going to have a listen to the trailer, and then can you just tell me all about the music of Chance? going to New York. Is that all right for you? Pick you up on the road. You look half dead. You tell me this wild story. Why the hell should I believe a word of it? Take a look at yourself. All right, all right, all right. So I don't look too sharp right now, but every word I told you is a goddamn gospel. If all three of us manage to stay in and we call a stop to the game after 24 hours, no questions asked. No questions asked. 3, 7, 11, 13, 19, 23, 31. Go as fast as you can. I'm already out of here. It's the way I'd like the world to look. Everything in it happens at once. So the music of Chance is a film that I had not really heard of at all before until today. I chucked it on and it is such a surprising little gem. It's very interesting. It has a cast for the ages. It stars James Spader and Mandy Patinkin as two kind of ne'er-do-wells that have accidentally fallen into each other's orbit. Uh, Mandy Patinkin is a guy who had a big inheritance. He's recently divorced he's kind of traveling around and immediately he bumps into a hitchhiker played by james spader who is uh an italian american gambler professional gambler who's all bloodied up and beaten down and he they go on a drive together he starts telling him about how he's this gambler and 
Patinkin decides to invest in him, and they go to see these two eccentric millionaires played by Charles Durning and Joel Grey, oh who God. are two of the all-time greats. All-time is on the imprint film's label live. as well. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. These two eccentric millionaires that live together, they've got this like model of their dream utopian world that they want to create on their place. And uh, they begin to hustle these guys. But then as these things turn out, the poker hustle does not go as planned. And Spader and Patinkin lose everything and they become indentured servants to these two men building and landscaping in this backyard that is ruled by freaking M. Emmett Walsh, who king. is another all-star of imprint, a true king, who is kind of like their, the guy who's pushing them around and getting them to do stuff. It is really weird. It's really interesting. It's very literary, this, this film. It is based on a book by... It is based on a book by author... Paul Oster, who I wasn't really very familiar with, but uh, it is also directed by Philip Haas, who is known more as like a visual artist. Um, and this is one of the very few feature films that they've made. But it's just like a really interesting film that has all these like interesting shifting dynamics. And it has like one of those scripts that by the end has like this great circular structure that I found so interesting. But it's just beautiful performances. Everyone acts the socks off of this thing. And it's got really interesting and weird dialogue that I think is so interestingly expressive from all of these actors. Uh, what really got me on this disc as well is that it is a video essay from an Australian physical media legend, film scholar Adrian Martin, mm. uh, who also made this essay with film critic Christina Alvarez-Lopez. And it's just an interesting look at like kind of the duality of this, the doubles of this film. That's really interesting. I think it's one worth catching up with. Also, one of my guys, Chris Penn, makes an appearance. Oh, I was just going to say, you didn't even well. mention him yet. I saw his name on the cover here. I was like, <sighs> if he doesn't get a mention, I'm going to be devastated. We love Chris Penn. The dearly departed. It's what a, a, what a vacuum he left. Chris Penn. One miss Chris Penn. Miss Chris Penn. Yeah. Guys. Vacuum that I hope to fill one day. I hope to be the Chris Penn <laughs> We're in that all void. reaching for Chris Penn. <laughs> I think this one's a really weird, interesting one to catch up with that kind of, I think, is a good double with like things to do in Denver when you're dead that has like mm. this interesting play-like literary quality as well. Um, it's a good one. I quite like this. It's still sitting with me. I'm still kind of processing this one. But there's also great features on here. There is a conversation with Joel Gray, an interview with M. Emmett Walsh, an interview with the composer, because music kind of plays an interesting role in this film as well. Um, it's a cool one. I quite liked it. That's the music of chance. Blake, you had a chance to catch up with The Beast, a movie with a giant tank on the cover. This is the one I didn't get a chance to get to yet. Can you fill me in on what is all up with the beast? I will fill you in while we fill our listeners' ears with the trailer. a battlefield commendation, Kovachenko. For what, sir? Trying to save those tankers. I love Afghanistan. 
We are a flea in the tail of a bear. You don't need food and water. We're safe in here. The Beast, which is directed by Kevin Reynolds, and uh, it's based on a play called Nanawadi by a, uh, a screenwriter and playwright named William Mastro Simone. Now, I'm just going to give you a shorthand about what this movie is. It's kind of like if Lone Survivor had a dirty late 80s baby with Rambo 3. It's cool. a Russian tank crew, all played by Americans, and they're all kind of and mm-hmm. like American soldier characters and character actors you would see in other American military films. And they're in a tank, and they're fighting the Mujahideen in the Afghani desert, and these rebels are being brutally murdered. It's extremely violent. And then what happens is they are ambushed, and their tank um, gets some uh, gets some sort of uh, um, some injuries, if you like. The beast gets some injuries, and they have to try and escape this sort of band of guerrilla fighters and get out of the desert. And it's one of these movies where its politics are kind of weird and mixed, and I think maybe it's kind of vintage is that it's aged into them. These all like crazed, feverish, uh, you know, government uh, towing the line, you know, rah-rah Russians speaking with American voices actually plays a little bit better if you read it politically that they're actually Americans and they've just sort of like got this Mm. um, contemporary, uh, you know, colonizer mentality that they're going to just wipe out these brown people. And it has some pretty interesting performances and some kind of weird and wonderful character actors. Obviously, Jason Patrick, we've seen him in a number of films recently um, for imprint films. We saw him, in, you know, all over the dark, uh, the After Dark Neonoir uh, cinema box set. But it's Jason Patrick, Steve Bauer, Stephen Baldwin, and leading up things this has never happened before it maybe has happened twice i know this guy is one of your faves from a movie that we've covered on the blues brothers which is imprint imprint companion sort of expansion podcast george zunza from basic instinct which you talked about is he plays the kind of hunter andy hunter he plays the kind of crazed tank captain so it's kind of like fury rambo three lone survivor vibes in this thing it is a weird movie. It is very violent. It is very kind of dated. But I think why Imprint have gone back to it, and this is what I... It's kind of the leanest on the special features of anything that's in this set. But I think why Imprint have gone back to it is because there is a, a reading here that Russia is actually not the superpower that is being critiqued here, rather that it is American foreign policy that is. And I think if you view it in that way, it's a very interesting film. But... Um, that being said, it's probably one of the weaker ones that I've seen other than like a curio. Um, and I think we've used that mm-hmm. term together. It's, it's kind of an interesting curio, a time capsule, and it may be as John Wayne's crazy and batshit. And I would highly recommend this, the green berets, which is like a world war two film, but it was, uh, made mm-hmm. in the middle of Vietnam, kind of trying to make this rah-rah argument of Vietnam. This kind of feels like the kind of reagan era all the way into the early bush era sort of um uh kind of you know mid-eastern american 
uh, you know, rah-rah film that is very deeply critical of America. So it, it is it is interesting. Uh, it's a curio. It's probably the weakest of the batch, and it's a pretty tough, tough batch um, as far as really good ones because there are some terrific ones, and we're going to talk more about those at the end of this episode and as well as in the Jim Sheridan set. But an interesting one. If you're kind of interested in seeing early Stephen Baldwin, if you're kind of interested in seeing George Zunza rather than being a character actor and just chewing scenery for the whole thing, this is his is biggest... Is Zunza the lead? He's the lead. He's the big scenery-chewing I... lead of this movie. I can't even compute it. <laughs> i got to watch this freaking movie. I can't believe George Zunza is a lead of a movie. I imagine That's that. Stephen Bauer and Jason Patrick and Stephen Baldwin. Like... Younger hunks of that time. I mean, look, talk about if you if you can't get an A grade lineup, and you can't get a B grade lineup, this is the strongest C grade lineup of 1988 that you've ever seen. Unbelievable. Well, that's the beast. I'm glad to hear what you thought about it. <laughs> the next three, we're going to do slightly more deeper dives because we both covered each of these films. Mm. We're going to start with Hor. From provocateur Ken Russell. Yes, 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 yes. Let me be your fantasy. Yes, yes, yes. Let me be your fantasy. Yes, yes, yes. Seems the older I get, the more mature I get, I guess. Make you believe that you'll love them. You can haul ass yourself, or we haul you off and take you in. Yes, sir. I feel sorry for their wives. Most of the men who come in here must be married. And they come here because we'll do the things their wives and girlfriends won't do. Handsome, isn't he? Let me be your fantasy. Let me be your fantasy. Let me be your fantasy. The life of jaded LA prostitute is described in this haunting drama through flashbacks of her past marriage, brutal inhumane abuse, and her time on the streets. Alexi, this I cannot wait to hear you talk about. Well, I have to correct something on that blurb, imprints. This is not a freaking haunting drama. <laughs> this is like a weird sketch movie. This is an attempt at comedy. And I think at times it's a successful attempt at comedy, um, but it's definitely Ken Russell known as like the great provocateur of like the devils and so many other like films that are in that mold of trying to elicit a response from their audience, a response of provocation, a response of like, you know, the bubbling up some of the discomfort within the audience. But this is a weird one because it is definitely trying to be a sketch movie uh, of some kind. It's attempting to be humorous and kind of, I'd say at its worst, this film has like these direct addresses to camera mm. that feel like an awful one woman show that you go to like <laughs> your friends and actor and they're like, have this harrowing experience that they're trying to turn into a play or it's like a based on a freaking monologue from someone. And it's just like exploring the, the, the glums of human uh, society, like the sidewalks, like a real taxi driver kind of thing. And it kind of is bringing to life those experiences of sex work, 
but with like this hacky humor of a sketchy sitcom. Yes. And I think one thing that makes it kind of stick out is Teresa Russell is the lead. Great actor, but I think that it just is, it, the performance doesn't quite land. I don't think it quite finds like that harmonious mismatch of tones, like the way that another provocateur like John Waters really uh, thrives in. I just yes. think it's kind of a mismatch there. But having said that, there is a lot to enjoy in this. It's a good looking little slice of grimy um, Los Angeles. It's Los Angeles set, it's right? It's meant Los to be Angeles Los Angeles, life. yeah. Yep. And it's kind of like a little interesting grimy slice of that. I think the sketched nature of it all kind of has that up and down quality where you're like, sometimes there'll be something that you vibe with a scene or a set piece that you vibe with or an idea that works, but then it'll cut to something else that doesn't quite work. So it's kind of like a bit of a potpourri for that uh, kind of movie. Um, but I really got a lot out of the extras on this. There's a great feature on here from another provocateur that I quite like, um, uh, from X-rated auteur Bruce LeBruce, who talks about this, and he compares it to and talks about its influence, perhaps subliminally, on his film Hustler White, which is a kind of hardcore gay uh street life comedy as well from a few years after um that has like you know explicit sex scenes and is also playing the same humor and watching that feature i went to my library my film school library and got hustler white out to watch it i liked it way more <laughs> but um i think that whore is really interesting and it's such an interesting pick for imprint and i think i'm more interested in these kind of these kind of like failures that reach for something or try to go for something. And Ken Russell is a filmmaker like that. Like, you know, he is taking chances. He's taking risks. And I think it is a very interesting release. And I, I, I think I got more out of it as a failure than I did of just like a middling success or kind of mid tier movie. Blake, what was your experience watching Hall? Hall is exactly as you said, this is why we like everything that Imprint does uh, and especially bringing these films that you've never seen before. It kind of crystallizes because I immediately watched Whore and then put on Kat Ellinger's terrific video essay called Legitimate and Illegitimate Women in Ken Russell's Whore. And again, I did the same thing of like, where was this thing reaching for? What was the original, like, what were the original resonances? Did anyone, what, what did, what was it thought of at the time? And of course, Kat is so phenomenal at contextualizing historically where it is and where its influences play. So I immediately went there and then I found myself sort of like just hovering over it and I was thinking about it. And it's so funny that you said the sketch nature, because I kept thinking like, this feels like a Saturday Night Live sketch or a Sat like an extended mm -hmm. episode of Saturday Night Live with like a guest person in there. But I think I've kind of landed on what it's doing. This movie is kind of like if Fleabag was doing Showgirls. And yeah. it's kind of, you've got this character who's played, you know, the, the whole character played by Teresa Russell, who's talking to the camera about these horren horrendous experiences. You can totally see... Phoebe Waller-Bridge's, you know, flea baggage style, like being in this, you know, really kind of crass 90, early 90s movie for a much more provocative sort of um, series of traumatic events and it's coming back at you. But you can also see that um, 
Russell kind of paints with a really unflattering brush of whatever subject that he's talking about. Like we watched him in Billion Dollar Brain in the Harry Palmer trilogy and he's like painting Americans as his like frothy, crazy, um, power-hungry lunatics in the middle of like what is meant to just be like a popcorn spy thriller. And so when I was watching this, I was just like, I was more interested. It's one of those movies that you're watching it and it never allows you to settle into the mode that you want like that you feel comfortable watching the whole thing. Like, like you said, you vibe with one scene then you don't. So yeah, I, I had a very similar experience. It made me very curious about any filmmakers because people, you know, people always quote Ken Russell and the devils obviously is the shorthand for like, I love mm. Ken Russell, but I would love, like, I, I, I'm really interested now uh, that you said that to get into the provocateur special feature with Bruce LaBruce and checking out mm, the film that you that. just recommended because I'm like, I, I, you know, that somewhere out there, this, hit the frequency for people and they leveraged mm. the inspiration to do other ambitious stuff. So I had an interesting time too. And I don't think, and I think it's totally like, if you're that kind of person that like wants to watch a film and have like a lecture experience, this is one of the better ones on imprint where you kind of watch it and if it hits with you, the special features are going to hit hard. And I would say if it doesn't, yeah. if, if you rail against it, the features are going to get hit harder because learning about it contextually is so awesome. So yeah, I had an interesting time with this one. And I'm curious to revisit it because there's a great commentary track from a colleague, Alexandra Heller Nicholas, uh, and also Josh Nelson that I really, I think that is how I'll revisit this film. Yeah, totally. Um, I, I, I that saw that afterwards. Great mind. He's great mind. And uh, yeah, Josh, that might be fun. Those two bantering with each mm. other. I think I, for, for that kind of film, it seems like it will totally work. Now, Tarantino exploitation is a phrase that you quoted um, in one mm -hmm. of your preliminary reactions for the next film that we're going to cover. Folks, why don't you listen to the trailer of a film starring these folks, Christopher Lloyd, Don mm -hmm. Cheadle. Yes. Chris, uh, Christopher Walken. Mm -hmm. Andy Garcia. William Forsyth, Treat Williams, Jack Warden, Feruza Bulk, Steve Buscemi. Don't forget Bill Nunn. Bill Nunn, of course. Things to do in Denver when you're dead. Why me? Timmy, you got the nice suit, you got the $70 haircut, but you are taking a dump in your video business. I got to call in the note. What do you mean you got to call the note? I didn't take the note off of you. I took it off of New Orleans Sal. Took it off New Orleans Sal. Who do you think New Orleans Sal took it off of? You're a cop. Talk to me, you shit. You got 48 hours. Are you in? Absolutely, Jim. You could tell me where Earl Denton is, or you could tell it to the monsters. <laughs> When a powerful mob boss gives ex-gangster Jimmy the Saint, played by the wonderful Andy Garcia, one last job, it's an offer he can't refuse. But when someone gets killed, Jimmy and his partners are marked for death, leaving just 48 hours to put things right. Things to do in Denver when you're dead. One thing before you start, I heard that Christopher Lloyd, the great Christopher Lloyd, loved his own performance and participating in this movie 
because it was one of the very first times that he had an opportunity to play a relatively, even though he's kind of like in, in his spectrum of characters, a relatively straight man in a chaotic situation. And then ultimately uh, a guy who's in this crew. I'm so keen to hear your thoughts on things to do in Denver when you're dead, Alexi Toliopoulos. This is an odd one. I had a, <laughs> so such odd. an odd experience watching this because this I had an uncle, uh, Nick, who was kind of one of my first guides wait, into cinephilia. Wait, 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 you need to stop. You're a, you're a Greek kid and you've got an uncle yeah. named Nick. Is, uh, all right, sorry, that yes. tracks. Yep, go on, go on, please go on. Yes, it, it, is, <laughs> it is a little bit of a Rosetta Stone for understanding me, I'd say. But he was like my guide to cinephilia early on, like putting me on a path of like, here's some movies that you will like. And there were two movies that he would always bring up that I never watched until this year. One of them was Living in Oblivion. You got to see Living in Oblivion. You got to see Living in Oblivion. Because he loves Steve Buscemi, and I love Steve Buscemi. And he's like, the other one you got to see, things to do in Denver when you're dead. you got to <laughs> see things to do in Denver when you're dead. And it just like was not easy to watch for a long time. So this is the first time I really think I've ever had the chance to watch things to do in Denver when you're dead. And... He is the most blatant instance of Tarantino exploitation <laughs> I've seen this side of Two Days in the Ebon Valley. Saints. <laughs> Two Days, Two in, days the valley. in the Valley, <laughs> the way of the gun. This is even more than all of those. And I think like what it comes down to is that it is a kind of interesting take on a crime film, a less uh, I can't I take on a crime film in the vein of Pulp Fiction that mm. is like a little bit left of center, a little bit experimental in the structure and the Lots way that of Dutch has angles. the story unfolds. Lots of Dutch Lots angles. Lots of Dutchies. But then also <laughs> it's got that dialogue that feels now going back to it quite contrived in its like slang and cultural illusions. Like everyone's got a nickname everyone is named after a famous song or a b-side to a classic like this is based on a warren the the title things to do in denver when you're dead is based on a warren zevon song yes. and there's so many of the other illusions in there but with a cast that has some of the very best and most interesting stars ever like feruza bulk is in this movie for crazy. goodness sake crazy everyone is interested gabriel and Everyone's having a blast. Like everyone is having so much fun. So there's so much joy in like seeing these characterizations that are like based on archetypes in the gangster and crime genre come to life with some of the very best actors. And it is kind of enticing and it's quite compelling. And then there's this interesting little thread throughout where there's these interesting ruminations of life and death in the form of these two camera testaments by people nearing the end of their life. They're all played by like a bevy of beloved character actors in their twilight years that you kind of go, oh, it's, I recognize them. You kind of go, oh, that's one of Jerry's dad's friends on Seinfeld <laughs> or something like that. And that's as part of this rather curious subplot, this legitimate business model that Andy Garcia's reformed criminal runs where he films these testaments and these monologues from people that are like nearing their life. And this film has like this interesting 
once again, this interesting circular structure. And by the end of this movie, when like the it kind of comes full circle, I was so charmed by it by the end and I couldn't <laughs> believe it that I really, by the time the runtime hit that zero mark, I enjoyed things to do in Denver when you're dead. And my uncle Nick was right. <laughs> I want to say the same thing, which is... At the beginning of this thing, I was like, uh, certain things grated, um, but it was all of the left of center and slightly bolder choices that started making me come around. There's this, it does this wonderful, without being an overt sort of chapterization of the, of the film, has these great slivers of wisdom from Jack Warden, who's like an old retired crime guy who sits in a oh local God. cafe and he just dispels... I don't even think we said his name at the start of the episode. Jack Warden's in this movie. Jack Warden's here. So Jack Warden's just dispelling this wisdom and it has a direct correlation or like this inflect weird sort of inflected correlation with what's happening in the story. And he sort of, he sets the tempo and almost like bookends and or signposts where the story is going to go. And, and sometimes it's because he's talking about characters with blind spots and then we you know there's a there's one of the one of the sort of bad characters in the uh, film i'm not going to spoil it but he's like he's right there he and he's having a conversation with him and it's this and that and it's it's this wonderful technique that while you i don't love all of the bits of things to do in devil when you're dead but when it works for me i was like oh this is great like it was like it's it's not yeah. a great movie but when it works its resonances are so wonderful and you know, my dear friend Jed Ayers, who's a great um, crime author, great movie viewer and a movie mind, Jed always goes like, he, my, one of my favorite tweets he ever did was like, you guys really need to like a whole movie, huh? Question mark. And yes. and he's the kind of guy who's like, I, he loves all movies as a great cinephile does. Mm -hmm. And he's kind of like John Waters. They just find the thing in the movie that they resonate with, that, that lives and breathes for them. And they can like a whole movie, even yes. if most of it doesn't really drive with them but it's those moments if they hit they hit really hard and they hit true and so for me that's that's things to do in devon when you're dead it's not it's not going to work you might just love straight man christopher lloyd as like a dirtbag crook yeah. you know who's who, whose day job is working at a carnival you might like treat williams in and the he's most he's also a projectionist and we're calling him the straight man he's a character who has like leprosy or something and his fingers <laughs> fall off and he, <laughs> And for him, that was the straightest character he's played. <laughs> um, it's so great. But, and it's also got Chris Walken, who plays a paraplegic, whose shoulders move every time he talks. And even in the special yeah. features, the director's like, hey, Chris, your shoulders can't move. He's like, well, we'll just, you know, you just like, yeah. they figure it's it out. It's how he gesticulates. He can't it, not. He can't, he can't do that. So, you know what? I like this movie a lot. I, I had a fun time mm. when it worked for me. I'll go back. I've been thinking about Jack Warden nonstop since I watched this. I was like, that is one of the, my favorite devices I think I've ever seen in a movie where you've got this old guy who's done it all, seen it all, gone straight, which is so rare in the crime genre, not going back into crime, who's dispelling this wisdom, whether people like it or not, which I love because if you're an ethnic kid who especially grew up in Sydney, your favorite thing ever, whether you go to an Italian cafe or a Greek cafe on a Saturday mm -hmm. morning, if you go early enough or even during the week, there's like five or six guys all dispelling the same shit wisdom 
to anyone who'll listen. And he just reminded me of those guys, but in, yeah. in a very great archetypal crime way. And I was like, it just certain things in this movie resonated with me so hard. Um, and you know, it's, it's like every character is like a, a Simpsons joke name yes. of a character. Like it's, exactly. It's, I, I had, I, I, I'm not gonna lie. I had fun. And then I watched Andy Garcia does a great, contemporary interview, love that interview which is great because it talks about him like really ro- driving with the script at the time and i think like when we look back it's made in 95 so it's right in that pocket when you do the, the complete tarantino exploitation had not yet taken over so they're making this movie mm. around the time i think i think the film industry had started preemptively reacting to this you know sort of postmodern um uh, american new wave and he, he, and this was also a Miramax production, and you know they're the ones that are hunting for the other Tarantinos out of, there. Of course, almost all these Tarantino exploitation films—they're by those freaking dudes <laughs> at Miramax, who we know who they are. We don't need to say their names, no, um, but they were on the hunt for all these other Tarantinos, and I mean they found one Tarantino. <laughs> they didn't really find any other ones out there. Yeah, look, they were trying, but look, I had fun with this, and if. If you, mm. if you can watch a crime film and only like, and usually it takes a few viewings of your favorite movies to really jive in with a character or watch the whole movie from this. And I'm telling you, this movie is such a weird, uh, a weird collection of these wonderful actors who you love mm. that you find yourself going, Oh shit. It's that I love you. Like you said, this is the, that guy Olympics, right? Like you were talking about Jerry's yeah. dad and this Jerry's dad's mate and whatever. And you see all these characters, but like for me, the Jack Wardens of the world, I wouldn't just never get enough of just watching every line pour out of his face. Don Cheadle before he's yeah. even allowed to be in the credits basically. Cause he's just a character actor. This is pre out of sight. Just um, all these wonderful people and man, I had a fun time. I must say, and, and by the end and the kind of the bold trajectory of the movie, I was like, I didn't expect it to be as bold as it was in, in, in the way that it sort of cyclically wrapped up its story. And I was like the boldness, I was actually impressed. I was like, okay, like the whole time you think the movie's going to, you you think it's on rails and it's going to go exactly what you think. And when it doesn't, you're like, oh, that is actually makes way more sense. And I'm, much more impressed that it had the balls to do it. So yeah, I, I had fun with this. I, I I can imagine myself watching it again. Me too. And not to get into your spoilers, Blake, the very ending, the little coda that we have at the end, you like that? Very much. Very much. Me too. Me very too. Much. That was kind of like what got me over the line, that little interesting coda at the end I quite enjoyed. Very much. I was like, it was, it was again, one of those... I, we're taking another turn. We're taking another turn. Now, Lex, I'll let you do the honors to introduce and begin talking about a film that I would say for both of us, and we and we know this because we haven't been able to help but talk about it even prior to this recording, mm-hmm. of a movie that is so special, so new to both of us, and uh, truly like a masterpiece. I got a job even you can't screw up. I told you, I'm not working for you till you pay me what you owe me. Forget about it. You were working off the books. You don't hire anybody unless they work off the books. And you won't work except off the books, Sully. I fell off a scaffold about six months ago. Have you seen a doctor? Yes, how about 20 of them? What'd they say? How about 20 different things? Well, did you ever get so mad that you wanted to shoot somebody? That's why I don't carry a gun. Get out of the truck now, Sully! 
Fun's over. I'm gonna have to put you under arrest. I tell her you love her, huh? Or else I will. God, silly. <laughs> I sure hope I don't end up like you. I hope you don't either. 60 years old, still getting crushes on other men's wives. Yes, this is Nobody's Fool from 1994, directed by Robert Benton, who did Kramer vs. Kramer, Places of the Heart, Twilight, which is another movie starring Paul Newman that we were lucky enough to do a commentary for, for the neo-noir box set. Nobody's Fool is one of the warmest movies I've ever encountered in my life. I'm just going to read you from the back of the box here. A likable working stiff played by Paul Newman, who's made a lifetime of bad decisions, is given an unexpected chance to make right on some of them when his estranged son and grandson drop into his life. Blake, I've been waiting all week to hear your thoughts on this film. Please tell me your initial reactions to coming across Nobody's Fool. It's a perfect movie. It's so stunningly performed. Every character, no matter how much of a dirtbag they are, is completely and utterly lovable. I love the weird alchemy of this town that mm. they're all kind of, they all have such a close kind of older brother, younger brother, like fraternal, like young yes. older sister relationship where you treat each other like absolute shit in some instances, but you love each other. And there's this sort of cauterized mm. community within the community that like has each other's back and covers each other's ass and just, and seems to do that because there's this very great and beautiful organic collective thing that sometimes happens in these small town communities where they're all kind of stuck in this rut of this cycle and they're never going to get out of there. And there's, I don't know, there's this booming, forgiveness for flaws and this booming forgiveness for compulsions and there's also underpinning that is this kind of deep trauma and it's maybe the most perfect iteration i've ever seen of the theme of second chances and not even second chances but like third chances and fourth chances and just waking up every day and you know waking up every day and just having it having the best shot that you possibly can at life. I, it is a stacked cast of people. Most of them who basically just did the movie on scale or sometimes less than scale in pretty horrendous conditions because they just wanted to work with Paul Newman. The film stars, of course, Academy Award winner, Jessica Tandy. It stars Bruce Willis. It stars Melanie Griffith. Um, I'm going to go down the line with some of our absolute guys. It stars Pruitt Trailer Vince, who usually plays a complete oh, dirtbag, who is so heartbreakingly sweet and I perfect in this movie. I love that performance. I love that performance so much. It's a beautiful performance. It's got Philip Seymour freaking Hoffman in it. It is, it's got Margot Martindale. Oh my God, she's so wonderful. Um, oh my gosh. I love this movie. I, I, I and, and, I immediately consumed the living daylights out of the special features. Mm -hmm. Terrific. A buddy of mine, one of the best commentarians uh, you're ever going to have on a movie commentary, one of the best moderators, screening moderators is around. Film historian and filmmaker Jim, Jimmy Hemphill does the audio commentary and it is beautifully researched and rich and just so densely interwoven with commentary about all of the actors and particularly Newman and his career trajectory and all the people that worked on the film. Has a wonderful 
um, Origins of Nobody's Fool with Richard Russo, who's actually the writer of the best-selling Pulitzer Prize-winning novel, oh. which is based on his life and his dad, and the character is based on his dad. Um, and I love that freaking interview so much. Yeah, I immediately went and bought the book. So, oh, I and he talks about there's a sequel. I'm like maybe yeah. I should read the sequel as well. <laughs> yeah. It is such a thought-out like response to the way his work was adapted talking through the production process and like the magic of it all i i thought it was just a that that really made it for me i thought the movie was great but then putting that on immediately after enriched the experience so much yeah i, I truly this is this is a special movie like we were talking about it joking i was getting choked up because it just was a movie that made me feel so warmly and you know as a cinephile if you're a registered cinephile as lex and i are sometimes we just like We'll sit in a room and watch three or four movies, random years mm. difference, watching them on DVD. Sometimes you get a link from the internet. Sometimes you get a beautiful Blu-ray disc as we're watching now, or you stream something and our partners often are like, nah, I'm not into that. I'm going to go and watch something else, which is completely understandable. But I walked out of watching nobody's full. I was saying goodnight to my wife. She was about to walk upstairs to Sam and, and, and I just said, Hey, I just watched a movie that I'm dying to watch with you. Like I was like, mm -hmm. it made me feel so good. And I just felt like that's the, per like, it's just a perfect movie. It's a complete cr crowd pleaser. It's just something that'll make you beam with a glorious smile and also make you maybe roll a tear or two. I just think it's a special, 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 special movie um, on almost every conceivable front. And Paul Newman just, oh, God, gosh. God, he's wonderful. I think what is so interesting about this film, like we just covered so many great actors and I would say there are very few exceptions where their work in this film is not the greatest work of their career. Absolutely. And it's only in like extreme examples where like, yeah, Paul Newman is as good in this as he is in The Verdict, but it's such a different performance yeah. and such a different characterization. And I think it's one of the best utilizations where it's the full encompassing talent and being that is Paul Newman. He has this sparkle that has never been more remarkable or more well utilized and is here. He communicates so much just effortlessly. And that was something that Russo talked about in the interview that I watched right after it, where he kind of talks about there was this whole scene where it was like the big backstory chunk where Paul Newman talks about his childhood. And then they just kept on rewriting it where Newman's just like, take this out, take that line out, stripping it back, stripping it back, stripping it back until it became like half a line that he says in the film. And that's all you need and it communicates everything. And it's just superb work from all the supporting actors. I got to say, Pruitt Taylor Vince, that is number oh, one performance that, outside of Paul Newman. It's Their dynamic is unbelievable. There's a scene where they're sitting on a stoop together that almost makes me want to cry talking about it. It's one of the most beautiful scenes. And Pruitt Taylor Vince usually gets typecast because of his unique look as it's like he's always like a yeah. dirtbag or he's always like, you know, this grubby character. And to see him mm. as just as He's like a paparazzo in Simone, <laughs> one of my favorite movies. <laughs> when, he's, when he's sitting on that stoop, I'm just like, this is the most glorious, like sensitive, heartfelt performance from a guy that I've almost ever seen. And he's usually a tough shitbag. And I think mm -hmm. that that meant all the more. And this 
I don't know, this impervious, powerful, beautiful Paul Newman. It's like, this is a guy who's right and ripe for sensitivity. And again, just how delicate he is. Like there's a, there's even on the back cover of this beautiful slipcase, there's this beautiful moment with he and Jessica Tandy that is pictured. That's one of the key moments of the film. And their relationship is just stunningly sweet. And it's, 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 mm. it's like that impossible sweetness that you think is going to be saccharine, but it ends up just being like, all I want out of movies is to make me feel even one tenth as good as nobody's fool makes me feel. And, you know, people have talked a lot about this year, like a Top Gun Maverick. You know, I remember walking out, um, basically screaming loudly, walking through the Hoyts Entertainment Quarter in Sydney for people to can cancel their subscriptions to streaming services because cinema was back. And, um, yeah. And I, and I would have almost done that if I'd seen Nobody's Fool in a big cinema with a whole bunch of people because I just feel like everyone would have been beaming. If you, you yeah. don't have a heart, if you can't love this movie. And I, it's, it's really special. You said to me such a great thing before we started recording, which is like, I think if I ever watch this movie again, it's going to be five stars and it'll stay five stars. And I would absolutely say that if I had to rate it right this second, so absolutely a five-star movie. It might grow to one of those things that's just wow. impervious. You could not tell me something that is not perfect. Yeah in this movie it's it's sensational it feels like and i guess it's kind of set at that time as well but a build up to christmas like there is a kind of it's a wonderful life about this without a supernatural element apart from the supernature that is all movies which is chance and destiny and the way those play in it and i think that it has this kind of sweet melancholy, melancholy about it, but also this real kindness, this warmth. And, and, and it also stars Melancholy that, Griffith. Yeah, and she's beautiful in it. <laughs> and I also love, 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 adored Bruce Willis in this supporting role. He's great. He, like, He's great. And it's so interesting, right? Because every now and then you come across these interesting supporting turns he did during this time, especially just during his big megastar era. Yes. And it shocks me every time he does character actor work. And this is up there with his best turns. Just like I talked about Mortal Thoughts a few weeks ago on the Neo Noir box set. Yeah. Around the same time, him doing interesting supporting character work. He is fantastic in this. Everyone's fantastic in this. But the other thing that stole the show for me was that Howard Shaw score. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's so gentle. I just loved it. I I might even put it on again as soon as we finish. I'm going to put it on again. Episode. I'm going to put it on again. Hundred percent. You just you've convinced <sighs> me. If there's anything that we can say, it's <coughs> this isn't. It's really hard in the recent incredible run from imprint sometimes to mm. narrow down the things that are the absolute yes. must-haves and you know we talked about the after dark near noir and, and uh, box set which obviously we were a part of so extreme bias um discounted we talked about warriors but i'm saying like warriors an incredible box set throughout the year there's yeah. been incredible stuff i would almost say for anyone you have to yes. own this movie you have to own it. It's like, it's the most essential thing that I think they've brought together and it's, and it's the most unexpected and, and it's just yeah. truly, truly, truly a special, special, like you can see why the, why the book resonated so beautifully. You can see why this adaptation was so sought after. You could see why it drew all the names to it and you could see totally why mm. it, it maintained its bestseller status for years 
it's just there if the this and and even what was so beautiful in um richard russo's discussion who's the author he's like i could never watch i could never read i could never think about my dad again because he was writing from the perspective mm. of a guy writing about his dad and writing the book to bring his dad's character back to life he's like i can't see my dad anymore almost without this weird blending together with paul newman because he was so resonant with the character he got he got to the essence of who this guy was and mm. it's a special movie and i i can guarantee you we're going to finish recording and i'm turning it around and i'm putting it on and i'll get through as much of it as i get through but i, I it's it's a special yeah. movie i echo everything blake says here this is the must own for this batch it's a single disc edition this is the one you've got a little bit of chunk of change at the end of your month and there's a JB Hi-Fi sale on. No brainer. Chuck this into the cart. This is such a beautiful movie. It's just, a, and it's the only way to watch it. It's not streaming anywhere. I don't think it's got a Blu-ray release elsewhere in the world. Uh, this is, this is the one man. This is such a beautiful movie. I watched it with my partner. She loved it as well. And I, I'm already like getting the disc out of the case to chuck in the player. Like I, I can't <laughs> I, imagine. I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, right now how quickly I did it. I went to Amazon. I've just hit buy on another copy. I have the physical copy wow. in front of me. I bought another copy because I think mm -hmm. for anyone, for any gift that's coming up, I'm just going to get yeah. it and I'm going to put a little note on it and I'm just going to go do yourself. This Watch is for this you. Shit, Watch dude. this it's shit, dude. It's as great. It's as great as it gets. Yeah. I might get a copy for my uncle Nick. I think that he'll love this one. <laughs> get it? You got to get him Denver, right? You got to get him things to do oh. in Denver while you're dead, and then <laughs> I need to get this. him both. <laughs> and just get him that, and then go, Uncle Nick. You used to tell me about things to do in Denver when you're dead. I, I don't know if you've heard of him, but check out this little guy we like to call Paul Newman. Yeah. He is the freaking sauce, dude. He is the juice. He's the dressing. He's the guy. <laughs> Wow. Well, guys, look, thank you so much for listening to part one. If I mean, the Jim Sheridan box set's coming up, incredible films in it. I'm so glad that we got to basically cover off everything else that is in this incredible July batch. We've got so much more to talk about. That for Irish Films by Jim Sheridan is special too, so please tune in when we get to that. We'll be back with another episode in about a week's time by the time you listen to this. Um, this episode will be dropping on a Sunday, so you'll probably hear us the following Sunday um, uh, talking all about Jim Sheridan. But look, thank you so much for listening to everything we're doing at Imprint Companion. Um, we have... Uh, got lots on both of us on other podcasts. This is where we get to come together. This is us sitting mm -hmm. on our stoop, confessing our fraternal love yes. for each other every so often over some physical discs. But Lex, can you please tell the folks listening everything that you're doing and what they can hear you doing elsewhere? Well, Total Reboot is about to come back after a short Ooh. little break. Uh, we took that break because we're editing Finding Jesus, our new video series that we made with Auntie Donna. They'll be coming out around September. Uh, it'll There's six episodes. Is a mystery investigation into pop culture that Cameron and I do best. Uh, so stick eyes to the internet and subscribe to Grouse House, the YouTube channel for Auntie mm. Donna, uh, which will be premiering on very soon in September. Uh, Total Reboot will be back probably next week or the week after with our 1982 series Blockbuster Summer, talking about the nostalgic hits that came out 40 years ago, like E.T., 
Conan the Barbarian, <laughs> and of course, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, amongst a bevy of other classics. But those are just a taste of some of the ones that we will be covering. And yes, there will be a reuniting of the gross-some foursome. Uh, me, Cameron, Joel Dusha, and Jackson from the iconic Mac and Me episode <laughs> of Total Reboot to come back and talk about E-freaking-T. Uh, Blake, you've been doing some awesome stuff with One Heat Minute Productions, the One Heat Minute Productions Patreon. Uh, what have we got cooking up over here? Look, there's a terrific little combo I did with the uh, wonderful filmmaker Scott Derrickson about his new movie, The Black Phone, which he wrote with uh, his writing partner and film nerd done good, C. Robert Cargill. It's made a stack of money in the States. I'm really um, happy for those guys. A little memoirs or memories of genre. I did episode with him. It's a bonus one that's up there. But we've got so much stuff coming up on One Heat Meter Productions. We've got Back to Miami Nice, finally after our detour to Tokyo with Tokyo Nice. We've got more imprint films coming up. We've got episodes of Miami Nice coming up with Manola Dargis. We've got more conversations where we're digressing into the rest of the world of modern man. We have our incredible assembly of a thief episode. It's going to be a special one thief minute. It may be two episodes now because the list of people, I put the bat signal up as I do and uh, the Sky Chief answered and so many great uh, people are here and I do not want to cut anything it's so hard to cut because so much of uh, what our, our guests have said is just so wonderful and beautiful that it's making it a really difficult thing in the nicest possible way but this is where i'm going to uh, plug our patreon show every single week we have rum and rant which is a one heat minute patreon episode lex has done a couple of them we've gone back and forth on the total reboot patreon as well um if you guys want to hear great episodes every week in the last three weeks alone a special chat from Donal Logue about how we got cut out of the thin red line. Roxana Haddadi on Michael Clayton and The Place Beyond the Pines. Ben David Grabinski on Creed. Coming up, a chat with Jason Blum about the most iconic images from Blumhouse Pictures. That's coming every Friday. Every Friday you're there. But that's not the only thing. If you guys want to get onto our Patreon, if you are a patron, you can join our Discord where our basically live screening movie chat just has gathered some of the most wonderful people all together into a single spot to talk on Discord. Discord, talk all the nonsense that we love and we are now starting to do one heat minute productions movie nights on discord so you have to be a patron to find out when they are this is not like a live screening like our black hat hacker card or miami nice this is special things that we're doing and other things there you will only hear about them on patreon first and if you jump onto the discord Coming up on our Discord movie night, we are doing a special 35mm scan of True Lies. That is happening very soon. Wow. Impossible to get your hands on right now because there is no Blu-ray release. And if you're a physical media freak like Lex and I, you might still have a DVD, but that's the only way you can watch it. All these beautiful scans. So more wonderful stuff coming up on there. So I would strongly encourage, it's a buck a month, one heat minute Patreon, and uh, jump on the Discord and then get amongst our movie nights that we're going to be doing on there. Freaking hell, dude. Coming up <laughs> soon, we're going to do the Jim he Sheridan Irish Movies box set. So stick with us, stay with us, and you'll hear more about the latest group of imprint films very soon. And there's a lot more exciting features coming out soon. Blake, love you, brother. Love you too, brother. And I love you, listener. <laughs> yes, we love you. <laughs>